0: Welcome to the Queer Confidence Podcast, the podcast to help you become your most confident queer self. I'm your host, he, she, they, Coach Alex Ray, and I haven't always been this confident. In fact, I used to be super insecure. And through this show, I want to share with you what's worked for me, my clients, and my guests so that you can become more confident. Hello, my unicorns. Oh, my goodness. I'm thrilled for today's episode. I always say that. (laughs) And then I always call myself out for saying it. Anyway, I'm very thrilled to share with you today's podcast guest. He has just some awesome, awesome, awesome insight around, um, around shame in particular and queerness and all the different, like, feel like different facets of being queer and different um, aspects of how it interacts with his life. And I just, you're going to just love it. Just strap in or strap on and get ready <laughs> to hear from today's guest, Chuck. Chuck, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. You're welcome.
0: This is a very scrambly intro because I'm like, we are talking about so many things it's like almost overwhelming but like really fun so well
1: that's my, you know just the shorthand is I just tell people I'm the world's most interesting podcast guest because I'm <laughs> every kind of weird and I'm very very proud of it
0: the, there you go which is why I wanted to have you on the show because you reached out to me on Instagram and you're like hey I would love to be on your podcast And I was like okay but like what are you gonna talk about right and mm-hmm. then I was like oh yes sir what you, am I you, not gonna mm-hmm. talk about <laughs> Come on, <laughs> get on here. Book now. I want to hear from you.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's been so fun to see your, your like the way that you celebrate yourself online too, and to just like feel really inspired by your ownership. And so that's why I thought Thank having you. a conversation with you would be really fun.
0: Yeah, I'm, pff, I'm so excited. And I also love that we don't know each other all that well. We know each other a little bit online, but like this is going to be a really fun. Conversation where I'm like genuinely showing up with so much curiosity and so much like I don't even know where we're gonna go. It's gonna be a great discussion, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I stumbled through my words on the intro. So are you ready, y'all? <laughs> um, so Chuck, please go for it. Go go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, to our listeners today, tell them a little bit about who the hell you are. Yeah. uh, So
1: first and foremost, um, I'm technically incarnated as a human being, uh, but I don't really feel like a normal person. um, And I used to really like be embarrassed about that and hide about that. And then I sort of started to come to understand um, words for my experience, like um, Mm non-binary, autistic and, um, you know, ADHD or... I just started to understand that there are other people who have experiences similar to mine and I'm not just like a singular weirdo. I do have a strange cocktail of a lot of different kinds of experiences that usually I think we're taught to be ashamed of or hide, but I have always been sort of like an unrepentantly um annoyingly obvious outsider, which is why I got beat up a lot as a kid, but like as an adult, like people don't beat me up anymore and no one can make me shut up. So I'm just going to be proudly strange. Um, I love it. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a trans guy. I'm a solo parent. Um, I'm a mental health and accessibility advocate, shame destroyer, world's most interesting podcast guest, uh, amateur entomologist, uh, you name it. Um, I, I just I'm so curious about everything in the world and I want to know everything and. I've, I've lived a lot in my 32 years, and I intend to have the best autobiography ever. So that's just a short encapsulation of what I'm here to do.
0: I love it. Best biography ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. I can see that. You're- I'm working for it. I really yep. am. You, re- you really are. You are having the experiences for it. That's for sure. Okay, so I'm really curious because um, as we were kind of prepping for the show, you shared that with all of these things that you are supposed to be ashamed of that you aren't and mm-hmm. what a magical ability I like tell our listeners a little bit more about this.
1: Yeah. So this is something I've really kind of grown into in the last year. I've been sort of framing it as like my brand of autism, like does mm. not give me the social framework of um elu- like, I don't know how to, th- tell a lie and mm. so it's like if you ask me point blank what i think or what i did last night like i'm gonna tell you even if it was like really kinky and gay like mm. if you ask like i'll just tell you like i don't i don't i don't have that mechanism in my brain that gives me pause that says like is this appropriate or like is this person gonna judge me i just sort of yeah. just tell the truth all the time and that's uh, you know, weird, but also it's kind of my superpower. And it really allows mm-hmm. me to cut through a lot of things in my corporate job. Like, I'm not shy about asking questions about why we make organizational decisions with people who are C-level, VP-level. I just ask them, like, why is this like this? And if mm-hmm. I don't agree with them, I'll say, I think we should consider this. And I, I guess I just like, part of it too is that I don't really believe in power dynamics that I don't consent to. And so it's like, I don't care if you're the most powerful man in the world or not, like, I'm, you're just a guy, and I'm just going to tell you what I think. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's sort of carved a weird path for me that's been kind of fun.
0: I fucking love that. Also, I love how you are speaking of autism in a way of empowerment and that it is truly a superpower. I think that right there is... Like the number one shame killer when we take anything that other people tell us we're supposed to be ashamed about, or maybe we've even carried shame about these things in the past. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, no, but what is, how is this a blessing? Mm -hmm. How is this a strength? I remember coaching someone on this around their ADHD Mm -hmm. and they were like, but what do you mean it's a superpower? And I was like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot it took me several years to get to that point. But now I'm like, what a freaking blessing
1: right because it's like if you apply me with my adhd brain to the right problem i will literally destroy any neurotypical person at that task right if you want me to find what is inefficient about your product design i will find that Mm -hmm. and but if you want me to like Uh, do other things, I will fail miserably and I will be open about that. I'll be like, you know what? There's going to be a lot of friction there for me. I'm going to need some accountability. I need someone to sit with me to get it done because I Mm. promise I will not do it alone. So it's Mm. like also destroying the shame around my weaknesses Um, or like the um, I would say like the balance of like, I do have these strengths from my ADHD, but I also need these accommodations. And if this is a disability informed workplace, then I'm going to need you to provide those accommodations
0: Mm.
1: And they do (laughs)
0: Yeah. Okay. I freaking love that because you're, you're so self-aware in it and it's just not a problem anymore because you're open to talking about it. You haven't made it a problem for yourself in your own mind. So tell us a little more
1: solution too.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little more of how you got to that because I know there's someone listening today. That's like, um, excuse me, what are you talking about? Like, how did you make that leap?
1: (laughs) I think it's helpful that I spent a lot of time out of the corporate world and kind of anti-corporate, and now I'm in the corporate world, especially at this time where DE&I is like the buzzword of the year, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So every single company in the world right now wants to look good on paper in terms of how they're meeting people of color, queer people, and disabled people. And so you can publicly hold them accountable for that. You can say, hi, I have this disability if you feel comfortable disclosing, disclosing, which I do, and I'm happy to do for other people who don't. I, it's part of it is that I I have no shame, so I don't mind sort of pushing the, the envelope forward for people who don't feel comfortable disclosing. So, like, I'll say for anyone with auditory sensitivity issues, we need to keep this in mind for all hands meetings or um, it's 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 sort of an awareness of the fact that businesses are motivated to have really good, Um, visibility on their efforts to be accommodating to marginalized people. So you can hold them accountable and they will gladly throw all the money and resources in the world at the opportunity to look good. So if you present them with an opportunity to look good, they're going to support you. And they're not going to be like, you, gross. You have blah, blah, blah. Like, yuck. Like that would be really embarrassing for them (laughs) if they did that. So it's like, I'm giving them an opportunity to look good by giving me an accommodation and then other people don't even have to ask for it. Cause I already did it for
0: us. Mm, love that. I really, yes. Amazing. Okay. So then what about also overcoming, um, you know, overcoming our own shame about our own differences? What's really worked for you?
1: I think it's been a, a long time coming for me. There was a lot of time, especially early in my diagnoses, that I sort of felt like I deserved it, deserved to suffer, um, or that I was fated to suffer. Mm. Um, And I think it really took community and becoming well resourced and and witnessed and loved in my weakness. Um, Like I have over the last year, recognized that I have a really severe auditory processing disorder, where all kinds of sounds will give me panic attacks, and I used to run away and hide when I had those panic attacks. But now I have a small daughter and when she's very loud or like hits a certain toy a certain way, it will cause that panic attack. And instead of having a breakdown or hiding, my roommates are there, my my lovers are there witnessing me, loving me, holding my hand to help me calm down and regulate. And so it's really been a matter of like, it's really hard to be witnessed when you're not having a good time, but being witnessed there took away the shame, which then actually made me have fewer panic attacks. Because wow. I was afraid of being witnessed so much that it was whipping me up into more of a panic attack and actually being forced effectively to be witnessed, bare, naked, vulnerable, and be loved by these people is has really given me the fuel to own it publicly. Because even if I lost my job or lost everything, I have my community and they're not gonna let me die, <laughs> honestly.
0: Wow. Okay. So like being willing to actually let other people see you as, as you are and practicing like, Hey, look, it's okay. And then it, it sounds like, what was that like the first time? Cause it, I'm imagining like putting myself into that scenario, like going mm-hmm. through a panic or even anything like going Mm -hmm. through anything that I feel a little shame around and being there with, um, an intimate partner and them seeing me go through this me being open and vulnerable about it. Like I'm, it's not comfortable. No. And I'm practicing this in real time right now. And it's like, this week has been wild, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like, what tell us about that journey for you. What is it like?
1: You know what it's bringing up for me is like there's two two angles I want to come at it from. I mean, one is that the first time that ever happened, it wasn't intentional. Mm. It it just happened and and it was hot shame. It was it was I was warm, I was miserable. I I felt like, "Oh, they finally found out that I'm worthless. They finally now they know my horrible secret that I'm actually a disgusting human being who has to like stim or cover my ears or or cry when there's too much noise." And so it was like, I didn't really intend for that to happen, um, but I I guess I just noticed that after the first time, I wasn't so scared about the second time. And part of it too was that after they witnessed me, I checked in and I was like, hey, I'm really embarrassed. I'm super sorry that like I got frustrated or like I, I had to leave. Like I, I sort of owned it and was like, I'm really sorry. And then they, I even named, like, I am embarrassed. I am ashamed. And they said, you don't have to be embarrassed. We love you. Like, thank you for for trusting what they said. Thank you for trusting me with that. And thank you for letting me know what you needed in that moment. It was not a burden for me to support you. And so I will say, I have incredible, incredible people in my lives who are trauma-informed, who are healers, who are, you know, like really are doing the work and we are building a safe place for all of us. but so it's it's radical how much we love each other in this queer platonic space that we've created that allows for healing but yeah it took being witnessed with not without being on purpose and then owning that i was embarrassed and then being told that i was okay repeatedly mm. and then the other thing it makes me think about is from like a bdsm angle which is like ah. i love being pushed on my limits Um, including like being humiliated or being hurt or suspended or whatever, when I've, um, consented to it, because I like to prove to myself that I can survive hard things. Mm. And so it's like, I could have planned an overwhelming moment to be witnessed. This was just an unplanned moment to be witnessed. If that makes sense.
0: Yes. And the only difference between it being planned or not planned is you and your thoughts about it. It's not actually like the scenario is still the same thing.
1: Mhm. Yeah. It's yeah. still being witnessed in a vulnerable state. It's just I I didn't plan it.
0: I love to like I'm going to bring in the three-step confident queer process that I talk about mm-hmm. here that that I teach, right? You're practice you were practicing it in that moment. You were like, "Hey, okay, I am uncomfortable," right? And the very first step of the process is to be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then You took the action of going and talking with your partners about like, hey, or roommates, sorry, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're,
1: they're roommates, technically, but they're kind of like domestic partners unofficially.
0: Okay, okay. (laughs) So your roommates, you told, you know, hey, I'm really embarrassed. And like actually speaking up and sharing that and sharing how we're feeling with another person is also really uncomfortable. It's so much nicer to just Mm -hmm. sweep it under the rug. But that does not build confidence. It does the opposite because then we get to live in that little shame imaginary space that we set up for ourselves of like Mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to feel this way.
1: Yeah. And now they know I'm disgusting. So you like Mm -hmm. scuttle around the house and hide because you don't want to be seen because now everyone knows you're disgusting or whatever, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. And then the third step is having your own back. And it sounds like really what you did, you just even going and speaking up, I know you had to in, in your mind ahead of time be like, hey, I'm willing to be seen here. It's going to be uncomfortable as hell, but I know what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to like sit here and shame myself over this crap anymore. I'm going to go have a conversation about it and I'll have my own back.
1: Can I tell you what motivates me to do that?
0: Please do.
1: So it's, it's actually, I, I would not have achieved this without becoming a parent, especially a solo parent, because mm. My entire being influences her framework for what kind of world she lives in. So if I'm even 10% more irritated that day or 10% more ashamed or 10% more tired, that, that trickles down to her. Mm. And she does not need to hold that for me. So I need to find ways to mitigate that ahead of time so by sort of strategizing with my roommates around like hey i'm actually super frazzled from work today do you mind like taking evie for a quick walk so that i can um like just meditate um because through the whole pandemic and i mean this the whole pandemic it was her and me alone in an apartment and i was not okay Mm -hmm. and so she and i are both somatically healing from the trauma of being isolated from community and i still get activated and i still need help and I don't want her to witness me suffering. I don't want her to witness me being angry. And so if I'm going to sort of deal with the, my own tantrums before they come up, just like I do with hers, like that, my motivation to not pass my trauma onto her is why I take better care of myself. Because if I take better care of myself, I can take better care of her. And now she demonstrates that. And she has, she's teaching 10 year olds consent. Like it's amazing the kind of emotional oh intelligence God. and bodily autonomy she has. She's a dynamo. I love her so much.
0: That's amazing. That is amazing. Um, And, you know, the thing that stands out to me the most about that is the way you're speaking about it. I can tell it's from this place of responsibility, not of guilt. Mm -hmm. And I hear a lot of parents adjusting their behavior around their kids and such because or making decisions about their kids or about their life or whatever out of guilt. Like, I don't want to fuck up my kid. And... Mm -hmm it's just guilt, 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 guilt driven. Yours is harder, right? Yours (laughs) is so much more just like, Hey, I am a responsible adult who wants to be able to give this experience the best I can to my kid. And I'm also going to do it imperfectly.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And it's going to be really uncomfortable the whole process anyway. So (laughs)
1: let's go. (laughs) And I will say that that guilt was like a big part of the first, I would say, year and a half. Mm. Um, and, I, and that was what fueled the shame and what fueled the panic attacks and what fueled the anger was all of my guilt of my I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Because when the person who abandoned me mid-pregnancy told me that they were not going to be there, they told me I was going to fail. Mm. And I believed that story for a very long time. Um, and I don't anymore. Um, but that story like really hurt me a lot and created a lot of guilt. And when I finally confronted him and realized that I didn't need to believe the story he told me mm-hmm. that set me free, mm-hmm. the guilt dissipated when I realized that he was, he, he hadn't like, he, ha- he wasn't right. If that makes any sense.
0: Who wasn't right.
1: But, uh, the person who told me I was going to fail.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Um, it was sort of like, as long as I believed that story, I sort of was failing because I was so guilty and ashamed and sad. And the second that I sort of wiped that story clean for myself and decided I was going to make my own story. That was when I decided I was going to take charge and I was going to be proactive and I was going to be responsible instead of guilty, like you say, Mm. but I definitely lived in that guilt
0: for a long time and hurt a lot from it. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is really, really helpful. And, um, what a great perspective to to see, like, okay, <laughs> this is normal. Yeah. That's the other thing. All the things are like, it's so weird. I'm not allowed to feel this way. No, like, that's yeah. normal. And then just it happens to be that most people are living their life faking it because they think if they can perform happiness or perform okayness, mm-hmm. um, perfection then then they might feel it and it's the opposite like your story is such a testimony that the opposite is true
1: yeah you have to be witnessed as imperfect in order to start to feel like you're actually okay (laughs) yeah uh yeah and I will say thank goodness for the times we live in where parents can like share um resources and support for one another because if I hadn't heard from other parents who felt just as shitty as I did And like, they were just as big of a failure as I was or felt like I was like, I, that was, it was so good to know that almost all parents feel like they're failing all the time. And that like absolved me of some of my guilt because I was like, oh, this is just part of it. I care so much. That's why I feel like I'm failing.
0: Mm. Tell us more about that.
1: Um, almost every parenting group you'll, if you ever joined one, if you look at the messaging boards and stuff like that, it's all people saying like, why am I so bad at staying calm? Why am I, why am I losing my temper? Why am I overwhelmed by my kid? And it's like, because it's overwhelming to not sleep for three months and get yelled at and spit on and, and kicked and punched. And it's like somatically, physically, psychologically and then especially like throw a pandemic throw isolation on top of that like you're not supposed to be okay like if you're having a hard time and you're losing your shit in front of your kids you're not alone and then the best thing you can do like if i lose my temper i say i'm sorry evie i'm getting frustrated i'm gonna go take a time out and then i go sit and i take a breath for for however long i need and i come back and i say thank you for letting me have that space i feel better now can i give you a hug And then I've noticed if she has her own emotional outbursts, like I have had in the past, she demonstrates the same repair behavior. So losing your the goal in parenting is not to never lose your shit. It's to show how do you lose your shit, keep your integrity, and then repair the relationship. And like so, I learned that from a million other parents. It's not that's not a Chuck original.
0: I feel like this, though, is every relationship in all of life. Definitely (laughs) parenting, but, like, holy shit. That is, like, the magic sauce for every relationship, isn't it?
1: Yeah. It's, like, can you own, like, where that's coming from? Like, for me, if I'm getting activated in a conversation, I'll say, this is bringing up a wound for me that's, like, XYZ. And so it's not really about your behavior, but it's reminding me of this. And so I might need space before I can talk about it or whatever.
0: Mm. I love that. Okay. Do you have another scenario, like a practical scenario that you could tell us about where, where you've implemented that? Like in adult relationships?
1: Sure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm thinking about maybe my most recent breakup where I noticed that my partner and I had identified a, that we were sort of incompatibility in our, had an incompatibility in our lifestyles And so it was sort of like the writing was on the wall for both of us. We could kind of see like, oh, long term, this probably isn't going to be a thing, but we tried to stay in relationship, but we kept hurting each other. Mm -hmm. And I realized, and so I kind of brought it up. I was like, can we just acknowledge that we're both experiencing grief from acknowledging our incompatibility? And can we just take some space to process our grief independently and then come back Mm -hmm. together as friends in like a month? Because they're dating my roommate and they are my friend. So it's like, I don't want us to just keep hurting each other over this grief. So I had to name the grief, acknowledge that I was being hurtful because I was hurting, and, that, and then decide to do something different with this person. And then we had a great agreement, and, and it's, been, it's been good. I have faith that we'll get to come together as friends in a couple weeks.
0: What emotional maturity. Like, wow. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Polyamory sort of forces
1: it. Because it's like, once you're in community and all your friends are dating your friends and your partners, it's like, if you're a dick... Like
0: (laughs) you you just hurt like 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So tell us more, tell us more about that, about polyamory and like, what is it like for you?
1: Um, it's interesting because I always tell people who are new to polyamory for the first three years, I was an asshole and I sucked at it. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought everyone needed to take care of themselves and I didn't understand why everybody's getting their feelings hurt all the time. But it turns out that like I just was not one negotiating appropriately what I could show up for Two, I wasn't listening for what people were actually telling me and I, I wasn't doing good repair. Um, I just thought it was like every guy for himself out there in polyamory. And now I understand that it's about like building trust. And at least in my style, we do, you know, there's kitchen table polyamory. We call it brunch polyamory because we always have brunch with our polycule, Um, which is like and it's just it's a fun weaving. Like I invite a friend over for brunch and then they start dating my metamor, you know, and then they admit they have a crush on me. So now it's like there's this just this weaving of our lives together. And it's um, I would say polyamory is a, a practice of vulnerability, of honesty, of adaptability. And of loving people for whatever they need to do to take care of themselves and respecting that your worth is not based on another person's behavior. That is them taking good care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of ways I could talk about polyamory, but that's what's coming up.
0: I, okay. Tell me more about the the worth, though. Like, I think this is a beautiful topic for today
1: yeah so i I think a lot of people will base their inherent worthiness on how their partners or friends or family treat them um and so like for me um there are certain things hmm, what's a good way to, to frame it i i have a motto which is i can't take it personally if you take it personally um which is like sometimes like if i need to set a boundary it's super not about you and you can take that personally, but that's between you and yourself. Because I'm not saying that you're worthless. You're saying that you're worthless because I'm busy today. I'm just mm. busy today. You're worthy all the time, 100% to me. But if you're the one telling yourself you're worthless, that's between you and yourself. Mm. And I can't actually fix that because I, I can support you, I can love you, I can affirm you. But if you believe you're unworthy and you're looking for me to to to, to like perpetuate that, like I can't show up for for that if that makes any
0: sense yeah yeah that absolutely does so <clears throat> how you mentioned like the first three years were you were an asshole you said yeah, I was really not good at it <laughs> tell us more I'm I'm curious like how did you realize that polyamory is the relationship style that you wanted to well first of all do you believe To you, is polyamory something that you're born with? Is it a decision? Like, how does someone come to that point?
1: I will say I find that I'm a naturally compersive individual, which is which means I tend to be happy when people I love are happy. So if Mm. people I love are falling in love, I tend to be happy. I don't know if I'm born with that, if that's part of my neurodivergence or whatever, but I don't tend to get jealous if Mm. my needs are met. I do get jealous if you tell me, no, I won't dance with you, but I'm going to dance with so-and-so. That's Mm. very hard. But if it's like uh, you just danced with me and then you just dance with so and so, like, cool, that's I actually don't feel bad about that. Um, So I would say some people I think are more naturally compersive than others and other people are more naturally um, maybe communication oriented, um, Mm. which can make it easier to be polyamorous if you're uh, wired like I am and that you're like allergic to dishonesty. Which, I mean, you can be yep. in any kind of healthy relationship and, you know, be honest. But for I think in polyamory, honesty is especially crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, for myself, I was introduced to it uh, when I was 19 by a married man who was trying to convince me to go on a date with him. And I thought he was a horrible, disgusting cheater. And I was like, how dare you, sir? You think I'm a kind of person who would participate in that sort of disgusting? Like, I hate cheating. I think it's horrible. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, how dare you, sir? How dare you approach me? How uncouth? And um, then, you know, he talked to me about it for a couple hours and explained and then like showed like agreements that he and his wife had and like assured me that all was well. And then, um, you know, we started dating. I met his wife. They gave me the book, The Ethical Slut. I started to understand, like, how can you be in moral integrity and date multiple people? And so for me, it, it was just sort of like clear that that made the most sense for me because I'd always been in relationships and had lots of crushes and had been really like punished in those relationships for expressing those crushes. And I have just found that it was better for me if I was either single or dating people who didn't mind if I got coffee with someone cute just to find out, you know, are we going to write a thesis together? Are we going to build a house together? Are we going to smooch? Like if I'm curious, I have to know. Mm. I'm relentlessly curious and I need to be supported and loved in that. And if a person wants me to like temper that curiosity, it's just not going to be sustainable. I'm I'm honestly like a little bit too, <laughs> I have a little bit too much forward momentum. And so like, if you're going to slow me down, like if you're probably just going to get ground up by the momentum, like I've got, I've got things to do and places to go and you either want to fan those flames or, or you don't.
0: Mm. I love this. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit more what, like what didn't work, and mm-hmm. what is working now in polyamory?
1: Um, I think, yeah, the, the the big thing, again, that doesn't work is just like, if you don't respect that I'm a curious person and I need to find things out, I, all the time people will say, that's not a good idea. And I'll say, mm, I got to know, though. Like, I'm just, I'm the person that needs to investigate. And if, if it is a bad idea, I need to know why. And I need to know how bad of an idea it is. And that's just part of who I am. And uh, if a person doesn't want me to do that and wants to restrict my behavior, it never, never works out. What does work is um, what we're, we're starting to develop a language like autonomy first polyamory or relationship autonomous where like my primary partner and I, we have a trust that we've built between each other. And we know if we don't hear from each other for a few days or they're literally on the other side of the country right now, or if they go hang out with a friend and they end up having sex, like that's all fine. Like I trust that our core relationship isn't affected. So it's sort of like, we don't need to ask each other for permission to explore Mm -hmm. things. We just sort of check in and say, Hey, I was hanging out with so-and-so we ended up having a great makeout session. And then we like high five about it Mm -hmm. um, because we're excited for the other person about a new connection, but we know that our connection isn't threatened. So I would say like having a, a really trusting bond allows for freedom for both individuals in a way that is really delightful.
0: Okay, so I I love this. I'm so curious. What then, like, <clears throat> that bond, tell us more about that. Like, because we've all grown up in this cult. Well, <laughs> we've all. <laughs> I'm assuming most of the, our listeners have grown <laughs> up in this American culture with um romance and disney and the diamond industry and mm-hmm. christianity and catholicism like all of these different things saying it's like the only way to have a deep committed relationship with someone is to make them your exclusive sexual partner mm-hmm. right and so what i love is that you're exposing like no not true <laughs> So how does one have that Mm -hmm. deep, intimate bond with your primary partner?
1: I think what was helpful for me going into this relationship is an understanding of attachment theory. Um, You know, you've got your secure attachment, your anxious attachment, your avoidant attachment. And so I'm really closely attuned to my body. Like through a lot of my spiritual practice, I notice somatically my reactions to things. so i can feel if i'm pulling away or if i'm grasping or if i'm chill and so what has been so wonderful with my partner jared is that we didn't intend to become like as deep of partners as we have it's just sort of naturally gravitated towards that and due to like i think both jared and i individually have secure attachments with ourselves and Mm. our communities which allows us to show up for each other without any real expectation but really, just a giving and a sharing out of joy rather than necessity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think you know that whole "you got to love yourself before you can love someone else" thing is complicated um, because I think it can be hard to have enough resources to love yourself if you don't have a, a family or a community or or whatever. And I think a lot of us go to specifically monogamous partnership to get that affirmation or that safety. And I think if you build that within your community and by the way, I truly believe the best way to build security in your community is to be that secure someone for someone else. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to be able to lean on people, being the person people can lean on is really, really is a great way. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that I, that I've found to, to build that safety in my life.
0: I love that. So it's, it's so interesting to me, like the, you know you're saying it didn't even start out that way it wasn't even really Mm -hmm. intentional and that you two came to this point of okay um you know how did how did that even happen like how did you get to that point i'm so curious
1: so yeah i think we met on tinder and they had posted that they were looking for someone to do kinky wrestling with
0: um and
1: i love wrestling and so I messaged them was like, LOL, I want to wrestle. And then um, we were going to meet up and then the pandemic happened, but we stayed in touch on Instagram for a year uh, wow. before we could meet up again. And then one day um, I had put up something on my story about like wanting to hang out with a specific type of person and they were like, that's me. And so they came to my house wearing a mask, like basically interviewed to to get into my like BDSM realm and then what we is? had to talk about like um there's a framework i use called the the stars talk um it's de- okay. developed by eveline dacker um really really crucial consent and relationship conversations um but basically at the beginning we were like hey you know this we're just going to be friends we're going to explore some like some kinky fun together but um you know this isn't like he's going to move away in a few years and he's not looking to like settle into anything and so i think honestly like having very minimal expectations at the beginning sort of allowed us to discover a compatibility that we didn't plan on, mm-hmm. which I think is in some ways better for me than saying, like, because I was looking for a co parent and I was upfront about that. And mm-hmm. he said, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But now he helps with bedtime almost every single night. Wow. Yeah. Just because he loves it. And it's not because he's obligated to, it's just because it, he gravitated that way slowly.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Okay. And so then what also, what do you think is the most, you kind of, you kind of said this already, mm-hmm. but what do you think is the most helpful thing for you, for you both to mm-hmm. feel secure and committed in this relationship? Mm. I think Like, it, not period, question mark.
1: <laughs> this is something that I, I think I actually just developed words for today, which mm-hmm. is that no one in your life, especially your partner, should be a single point of failure oh you need redundancy yes you need fabric you need you need dispersed needs met because it's like my, my partner's in new york for the entire month Am I going to collapse in a heap on the floor because I, I, I'm devastated and under-resourced? No, I'm going to ask a friend to help with bedtime. I'm going to ask my roommate to help with bedtime. And it's not like I'm only asking one other person. I have a pool of five or six. So if any one person is like, gosh, no, I don't feel good. Or like, hey, I actually just got asked on a spontaneous date and I want to go. No one in my life is a single point of failure. Not me, not anyone. And mm-hmm. in the pandemic, when it was me alone with my toddler, I was the single point of failure. I held it all. Yeah. And that was horrible. And I never want to do that again and I never want anyone in my life to feel like they have to do that either. I want that I want my Jared to feel like he can leave for a month to mm-hmm. take care of himself, to follow his heart and his calling and do what he needs to do for him and know that I'm going to be okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. I f- like I'm like, "Oh my god, yes. Yes." And it it is so opposite of what i think most people are trying to do it i I wonder if the reason that we like to have those single point of failure um in our lives with our relationships is because we think oh it it gives me a sense of importance Mm -hmm. if like i'm that person's everything then like yay Mm -hmm. i'm so important right and like I, I don't know i've never like thought of it that way before i'm like i think maybe that's probably what most people are walking around doing subconsciously they're like well, I get my sense of importance from you needing me so like don't go anywhere else don't have other friends like you, i need to be your one and only so i can be really important and you can be my one and only so that you can be really important and
1: well i don't know about you but i grew up with a huge rescue, rescue fantasy And Mm. it was only very recently that someone said to me point blank. They were like, Chuck, no one's coming to save you. And I was like, damn, I was like, I didn't expect it to. But that your words just literally set me free because I have been out here begging someone to save me my entire life. Mm -hmm. And in the last year and a half, I have decided to save my own ass like I was like okay I'm sit- I've been sitting in this puddle for 30 years nobody's coming I guess I gotta stand up and clean myself up and it's been so empowering and so great to just like um realize that like wow actually no one's coming and I, I actually didn't even need them I just believed I did so I never got up out of this mud puddle
0: <laughs> preach <laughs> so good Yes. But that's the
1: other problem is like with monogamy where t- it's tied into that, like, I have to find this person who's going to save me from my loneliness, from my unworthiness, from my blah, blah, blah. Like you, I'm sorry, but you, you do have to save yourself and guess what? You actually can. And then once you realize, like truly actualize that you can save yourself, like then you can start helping other people do that too. Um, because it's like, it's not bad if someone gives you a hand to get up out of that puddle, Right. but they're not going to pull you out and then support your body for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, no, right. Yeah. And it it's is like, important to be um, open to receiving that hand and yes. being open to receiving support mm-hmm. and also knowing that they're not your one and only that like mm-hmm. you are your your if uh, your core one and only mm-hmm. and you have many around to support.
1: Yeah. And it's like if I do fall down or if I even start to wobble, you know, now I, I have community around me to to help me through those wobbly times. Yeah. But I had to go out and get that. I had to make that.
0: Right. Right. Which is so much more um effort than just going out and finding that one single person and being like great here we are Mm -hmm. we're done which was great in like the you know the olden days Mm
1: -hmm. of arranged marriage
0: and such
1: but they they had multi-generational family and church yeah they weren't alone it's only in the last 50 years that americans have decided that we all need to be alone in our mcmansions like it's so weird Yeah. That rugged individualism. It's like, uh, I think you're just lonely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Very true. Very true. But yes, nothing to add. (laughs) Yeah, that's the tweet. (laughs) That's it. I was like, hmm. um, Nope. Period. The end. (laughs) Okay. Is there anything else um, around um shame in polyamory too that came up for you because i feel like those are our primary things today i feel like is is shame and
1: i guess there's something i want to talk about with like shame and achievement
0: okay um, go for it let's do it
1: yeah so I, I read this book this year that really changed my my perspective it's called the big leap by gay hendrix
0: yes and-
1: Yeah. And so it's basically about how like we will undermine ourselves if we get too close to being successful. And because most of us have some barrier to success. And for me, it was like this feeling of, I don't want to outshine others because as a child, you know, by being the like student of the week all the time, I got my shit rocked. People beat me up and nobody was my friend. And so like, I have this narrative of like, if I overachieve, then no one will love me because I'll be too annoying or whatever. And the thing I've come to realize is that like the, the dreams and the things that I want to see in the world, I really have to make those happen. And I'm going to have to accept that not everyone's going to understand or appreciate what I'm doing, but I know within myself what I'm here to do, what my values are, what my motivations are. And now like destroying the shame around that, destroying shame around money. Like a big thing I've been working through with wealth is like, I, I make six figures now, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm climbing. You know, like I'm I'm trying to clack, crack a quarter million this year. That's my goal,
0: oh, and amazing.
1: and I'm on my way. And two years ago, I would have been like, "Ew, I don't want to ask for more than fifteen dollars an hour because I'm not worth it." But now I realized, here's the thing: um, people who are already privileged are just going to keep collecting those big fat salaries if we don't go out and take them. So. <laughs> It's like, I have plenty of privilege, but not as much privilege as some people who tend to get those salaries. And I'm trying to open as many doors as possible for people to get to those opportunities. And the biggest thing we have to overcome is believing we deserve it.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And with money and with light... That you talked about like, oh, I'm going to outshine other people. The mm-hmm. the thing is both of those fears are based on an assumption that there's a limited amount, a limited of amount scarcity. of money. Yeah. Uh-huh. A, yeah. And a limited amount of light. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's not possible to take money from other people. The, I mean, mm-hmm. the facts of money too are, there's nothing physically backing it up anymore. It's, it's all, all just it. a mental construct. So it actually like – even if you're struggling with it from, you know, uh, t- you're like, well, I need more evidence. Like, you have all the evidence you need. Like, it is a mm-hmm. fact that there isn't a limited amount. We mm-hmm. just can print more anytime the government wants to print more. So...
1: Well, and, and it's like we have this narrative around, like, oh, like, money's gross, capitalism's gross, jobs are gross. It's like, yeah, true. Um, But, like, for me, I think I just kind of utilized... <laughs> it's i'm so, i'm working on what i want to say because i do know like people i work with will listen to this but the truth is that no one okay i have a job i am hired i am salaried yeah. i worked for myself for 10 years yeah. i still work for myself yeah and like i am always going to protect my well-being and like i am going to protect my worth mm-hmm. and like some days i work 2 hours and some days i work 10 and both Both of those I am just as valuable. Um, I don't need to overwork myself to justify this six-figure job. Like I'm just worth it. And like we were saying, you know, money's made up. Um, and there is no no lack of opportunity. Um I feel like I had more of a point, but I think I got embarrassed about it and shut it down because I don't want
0: (laughs) work to hear it. (laughs) That's totally fine. I think if
1: I if I was if I was gonna like coyly talk about it, I would say I'm utilizing my kink mindset. To enjoy the gross parts of capitalism. I'm having yes.
0: fun with <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Even the thing Preach. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, if um... y'all are trying to figure out like, okay, wait, what the hell is Chuck talking about with the kink mindset? Go listen to the episode called Kink. This is exactly like we are on the same page here. Just go mm-hmm. listen to that episode and you'll understand it. But um I, the same thing is true of light right and like not outshining other people like it's just not a thing mm-hmm. you you're not there's not like oh and i've now taken the spotlight away from others no it's you are being more light yourself which actually is shining away for others so actually <laughs> the truth might be instead of i'm gonna outshine them and they can never progress and you know other people can never progress in their life actually if i shine brighter more people might shine brighter too so
1: and it might even be from a competitive place and if so like come for me bitch
0: right because that is (laughs) i I love to compete it's not a bad thing like come on let's let's go at it right Uh and like from a place of love like i'm not it's not like i'm better than Although it's like those, a game. Fun. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And those I, those intrusive thoughts come to me sometimes mm-hmm. still of like, oh my God, they're better than me. And it's like, no, 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 no. They're not. We are the same. We are all just humans. Mm-hmm. Same even playing field. And yet, totally uneven playing field. There's no such thing as a super yes, field. Like, yeah, well, we're but all human. We're all unique. Right. We all have different experiences. We all have different DNA. We all have different everything. And that's not a problem. Let's go compete. Come on, bitches. Yeah. Let's go.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's race. Let's have, let's see. Like that. that's been my thing is my, so I have a friend who um, we've actually just been competing on salary yeah. and she was like, ha you out-earned me for two weeks, bitch, but I just got a raise. And I was like, I'm coming for you. I was like, just wait what I've got in store this year. So it's like healthy, friendly competition.
0: I and yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's really fun. That is... Pff, yes. That also, is, like...
1: The other thing I'll say is it's okay to be delusional as long as you're having fun with it and you're not hurting anyone. <laughs> like, I don't really know if I'm going to crack a quarter million, but I'm sure as hell going to try and I'm going to have right? fun getting yeah. there. I'm going to be audacious and I'm going to be bold and I'm going to I'm going to try.
0: I love it. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to hear. I I actually um, set my goal this year for just over Mm 200,000 for my business, which is crazy because I haven't even hit a hundred before. So we're like going to fucking leapfrog this. And also Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go like throw a pity party if I don't hit it, but I love to have ridiculous, crazy goals and like, let's go.
1: So last year I started unemployed, making $1,500 a month myself, like self-employed, my goal was to make 80k by the end of last year i cracked yeah. 140
0: oh my god yes so,
1: so what what mm-hmm. could come of this year i have exactly. some i have some wild projects in in place i have some i have uh some schemes some schemes and dreams where i am curious i think
0: we're both gonna do it yeah and i'm curious we're gonna have
1: a lot of fun trying
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'm curious for you like this is the last thing and then we'll um Kind of wrap up, but I know for me the the way that I go and approach my goals now is one from that that fun standpoint Mm -hmm. that we're talking about. But also, um, like I'll set it and I'll plan it out and I'll be like, okay, this plan kind of makes sense and throw the plan away. Like I'm open to letting the universe now offer this to me in any way. I've done the math, I know it's possible, but the how and the exact steps. The ones I made up are not going to be the ones that work. I know that.
1: You can start with the first step and see if you can get there and then see what you see from that step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about you?
1: <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat similar in that I'm very, um, I'm very unattached to um, – I, I honestly – like some of the goals I have for things I want to see in the world, like in terms of technology or art, it's sort of like if I mention it to someone and they go run and make it so – like, I'm not going to be mad that that thing exists now, yeah. um, but uh, it's, it's like, I can only do things one step at a time. And Oh, well, okay. Here's the best way to put it. Are you familiar with the concept of, of the mountain that Neil Gaiman has talked about?
0: I don't know. Ta- tell it and maybe. Yeah.
1: So the, the mountain is like your faraway goal. Like, let's say, um, okay, I do want to have a four-hour work week. That's my mountain. Okay. Um, and so whenever I take a step in any direction, I ask myself, is this a step towards my mountain or away from my mountain? Okay. And if it's a step away from my mountain, I don't do it. If it's a step towards, I do. And so that sort of can be a loose intuition to guide you about those mm. steps. But it's like, I don't know how many streams I'm going to cross or, or bridges or, or things I'm going to have to climb to get to that mountain. I just have my eyes fixed on that thing that I know to be true. And I'm just sort of casually sauntering, exploring, turning over stones on my way to that mountain.
0: Love that! Fantastic. Okay, I, yeah. That is such a great concept. I'm loving it. Um, all right, my friend. What else do we want to say? I want to. I want you to be able to like share your your information and links and everything in a moment. But like, is there any like parting words? Um, or last like nugget of gold wisdom that you want to give to everyone today
1: there are two phrases that i would like inla- i would like to invite people to meditate
0: on okay.
1: and those two phrases are stay curious don't ever make up your mind about something 100 percent. stay curious and two rest in abundance there is enough there is enough the earth inherently is benevolent and creative and you are made of the earth and if we can lean into that benevolent creative energy of the earth and embody it and nurture it we're all going to be fine but we gotta stop burning it down
0: damn (laughs) that's all (laughs) that's it just just that when i said gold you really brought the gold (laughs) i yeah uh, yeah (laughs) so
1: good I all take right, no for any of these. These are all straight from the earth through my mouth.
0: I l- <laughs> love it. <laughs> um. Okay. So where it, it, you coach as well, right? So
1: sort of, I passively coach. Um. Passively I don't really actively out. coach anymore. Um. Okay. I'm I'm really in my corporate space, uh, loving it. Um. I do poetry. I do performances and speaking, but mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I don't coach that much anymore.
0: Okay. Well, where can our fi- where can our listeners find you because they want to just go and soak up your delicious energy and just bat like bathe in all that is you.
1: <laughs> so uh, you're just gonna want to Google Chuck Copenspire.
0: Uh,
1: that's Chuck, and then Copenspire C O P E N S P I R E. Um, you'll find all of my stuff. I'm the only Chuck Copenspire there is. There's TikToks. There's YouTube's. There's there's everything you could dream of. Just if What's it's that? all under my name.
0: Yep. And we'll have it linked up in the show notes as well for you all so you don't have to go far. So, wonderful. Oh my god, my friend. Thank you so much for being thank you here for today. Me. What a great conversation. So enlightening. I took so much out of this conversation. So, right. thank you. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, thanks for thanks for making time and for for giving me a uh, an opportunity to speak to your audience.
0: Of course. Of course. All right, my friends. I will see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with a friend so they too can become more confident. You can also help more people find the show by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. And if you want to become a more confident queer with support from yours truly, head to coachalexray.com or use the link down in the show notes. I'm looking forward to working with you.